Teruan Saranai, welcome to another Poya and warmest welcome to everyone who's participating today. So, as you can see from the slide, we will be looking at the first doorway to Nibbana, the first profitable direction. So, this is the painful way with slow realization. So what we'll cover today is our usual tips and reminders. We're going to look at these different doorways just briefly. We'll do a short meditation to start with because, as you know, this painful way, we have to meditate on things that are not so pleasant. So it's very good that uh, we do a short meditation to lift the mind and also we'll then look at the four profitable modes of practice which are these Akipadas. Then we'll look at specifically today the painful way with slow realization. So what we'll look at is the pairing between the Kabalinkara Hara, the uh, physical nutriment and going the bad way with uh, desire and how it matches or pairs to this uh, Patipada, this profitable direction. And then we'll deep dive and look at in more detail, each of the steps in this meditation. Now, some of us have already done this meditation before, so think of this as a, uh, a recap, uh, revisiting of what you know, see whether there's anything new that, that you can learn from this session. And if you're new to it, then at the same time, this is something that is very valuable, as you'll see from this session. And then what we'll do is we'll practice this meditation together. And then we'll end with some advice and tips for learning this meditation, some of the challenges that may arise, and also questions and answers. So that's what we'll cover today. So let's begin with our tips and reminders. As usual, we keep an open mind. Whether we know this meditation or not, we're open to the Buddha's words. That's the most important thing on this observance day, that we're okay with not understanding everything. Sometimes what we find is that when we listen to things over and over, we learn something new. So this time it might be one particular thing and then you practice it at home and then uh, another time you hear it again, you learn something additional to that that maybe builds on what you already know. So if there are things that you don't understand, maybe it's for later. And then remember that we're all sakers. We're all trying to apply ourselves to the Noble Eightfold Path, trying to understand what that means and trying to understand how we can develop the path in a meaningful way and also to sharpen our spiritual faculties. So when we come to the meditation, uh, apply yourself, you know, give it a go, try it out, do the best you can. And uh, when it's called on to use your own examples, really try and dig deep to find the ones that are the, that are the most meaningful for you because it's only in that way that you connect directly when you see some real-life example for yourself. So only you will know that. So uh, we may talk about a few things that may trigger things for you, but there may be other things that helps you to penetrate the truth, and that's what it's all about. And then lastly, we have good wishes for everybody. It's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of hardship and difficulty in the world, so that makes it increasingly challenging for all of us. But the most important thing is to make sure that we have these good wishes, that we help each other out in this meditation and to all sentient beings around the world, seen and unseen. So let's begin with what this is really about. So in many ways, we've been learning these uh, 
uh, nutriments, these aharas. So we know them as satrahara. So these are the different nutriments that we crave, knowingly or unknowingly. So the physical nutriment, the contact as nutriment, the mental volition as nutriment, and consciousness as nutriment. And what happens is we end up going these four bad ways. So the physical nutriment means we go the wrong way due to desire. Contact is nutriment, we go the wrong way due to hate. Mental volition is nutriment, we go the wrong way due to fear. And consciousness is nutriment, we go the wrong way due to delusion. Essentially, the first unprofitable direction, which is right here, this is loba, this is greed path. The second is really the hate path, the daughter path. And three and four together is the moha path, so it's the delusion. So in in many ways, when you look at it like this, these are the doorways that lead you back into samsara. So that's why they're unprofitable. You you remain bound and enslaved to samsara. So you will go from birth to birth to birth. Now, instead, what the Buddha says is know, know these doorways. So know the ones that come bring you back to samsara, but also know these other ones, the doorways to nibbana, the profitable side. So the first one is what we're looking at today, which is the painful practice with slow realization. So Dukkha Patipada Dandha Binya. The second is the Dukkha Patipada Kipa Binya. So painful practice, but quick realization. The third is the pleasant practice, slow realization. So Sukha Patipada Dandha Binya. And then you have the last one, which is the Sukha Patipada Kipa Binya. So the quick realization, pleasant practice. So you can see that it, the result of it, the doorways, are immeasurable loving kindness, so metta apamana. The second doorway is the karuna apamana, immeasurable compassion. The third is the immeasurable joy, so the mudita apamana. And the last one is the upeka apamana. So that gives you an idea. Now, what Buddha says, or what we can liken it to, is we are sick when we are doing, when we're still craving the nutriment and we go the wrong way. So this first doorway, four doorways that lead to samsara, you could say we are sick, we have an illness, we have an ailment that we know or don't know about. And so when we're sick, Buddha gives these medicines in these practices, these patipadas to help us to overcome each part of the sickness. So they're very, very helpful. That's the context for why we want to know what is, what is our diagnosis up here and what is the medicine. So these dhammas are very, very powerful. Like you have 40 dhammas in this one. So if you elongate to the larger picture, you will know that there are 10 under each, 10 steps. So that comes to 40. And then you have 10 steps in the doorways to Nibbana. So that's another 40. So there's 80 dhammas there that we learn that really help us out. Now, they all work together in terms of the linking and the connecting. So you can't really pick and choose what you want to do. Like as you learn more about these, sometimes what people say is I want to I want to do the Sukhapatipata. But the thing is, even though you might think you can do it, one needs to humble oneself to know that you actually need to know all of it. And where you might uh, attain Nibbana is one of these four like doorways but you know the Dhamma of the whole lot because you, you you see how it works all together. So because we're doing the Dukkha Patipata Dandavinya, this painful practice with slow realization, because it's actually looking at meditation objects which can be unpleasant, so that's why it's painful, it's good to start with a short meditation. 
So I'd like to just give a bit of an intro to this meditation. And then we're going to meditate for about 10 minutes. So this will help to lift our minds and help us to focus on the Dhamma that we need to focus on today. So the best way to start is to, to focus on the Buddha, that we are very, very fortunate and blessed that the Buddha came into the world, Gautama Buddha, and for all the Dhamma that he has taught us, that we are blessed to have access, we still have access to this Sadhamma. So out of immense compassion, he's taught, you know, to enable us to free ourselves from samsara, that if we don't learn this Dhamma, then we are bound to countless lifetimes, he says, of Dukkha. And so we're very grateful for that. And we're very grateful for the noble ones, the Arahants, who have walked this path before us, who have shown that this can be done. And they have perfected all the noble accomplishments. So if you remember from the Sekhapatibhada, they're accomplished in conduct. The 15 Charanadhammas, they're accomplished in knowledge. So the, the different kinds of knowledges. So this is altogether the Vija Charana Sampano. So there are these great and living Arahants in the Sudhavasa, the pure abodes. They have heard the Dhamma from many Buddhas and they continue to lift and maintain Buddhist teachings so it doesn't die out. So it's still available to people like us, people who have a little dust in their eyes, who still have sadda to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And they have helped countless, countless sentient beings in all different realms, you know, to either liberate from samsara or to actually enter the path and then develop further. And so when you think about these arahants, these living and great arahants, their noble wish is for these doors, these doors to Nibbana, to stay open for all sentient beings. Their noble wish is that these doors don't get closed. And so the doors of Metta Apamana, Karuna Apamana, Mudita Apamana, and Upeka Apamana, so immeasurable loving kindness, immeasurable compassion, immeasurable joy, immeasurable equanimity. So what we can do as a meditation is we meditate together with immense gratitude to the Buddha, immense gratitude to the noble Arahants for this wish. So we wish the same. We connect with the Arahants by wishing the same as they wish. We wish that the doors to Nibbana stay open for all sentient beings. So let's spread this wish in all directions for the next 10 minutes. Peruan Saranai. Peruan Saranai, we can come out of the meditation now. So let's continue. So we have these four profitable modes of practice. (coughs) Four profitable modes of practice. And so we know what they are. We've just outlined them before. The interesting thing about them is when you go to Nyanputmikaya chapter 4, um, and it starts from about 161, that discourse, and onwards, there's about 10, I think, different suttas. And there's one particular one called the Vipra Sutta, and it goes into a little bit more detail about these uh, modes of practice. So these are the profitable directions. So with the painful practice, it's where... Uh, beings are ordinarily full of acute greed, hatred, and delusion. 
So much of the world is actually imbued with a lot of greed, hatred and delusion. So that's why painful path or painful practice is very, very important. And pleasant practice is where you're not ordinarily full of acute greed, hatred and delusion. That means you're you're not so imbued with sensual pleasures. You're not so taken with the form or the feeling. So instead, there's a different practice that's given different meditation objects. And so what you can see is that when it comes to slow realization versus quick realization, the people with slow realization, it means your five faculties, your spiritual faculties, so these are the indriyas, they manifest weakly. So that means they're quite blunt. They haven't been sharpened. Whereas like when you have the quick realization, it means that your spiritual faculties are sharp. They're actually quite strong. And so when you look at the attainment through these pathways, you look and you see that those with slow realization, the attainment comes slowly. It doesn't come fast. Whereas if your faculties are sharp, then you get the quick realization, the quick attainment. And so that's the distinction. Now, what the Ubeya Sutta says, which is Anguttanikaya chapter 4, discourse number 166, it says, the painful practice with slow realization, so Dukkha Binya, the one we're looking at today, it's inferior in both the fact that it's the painful practice and also because it's slow realization. Then it says the Dukkha Kipa Binya, so painful practice with quick realization, it's inferior because it's still painful practice, still painful. So then when you look at Sukha Binya, that's still inferior because it's slow. So that's the pleasant practice with slow realization. And so the superior practice and superior in both ways is Sukhapatipada Kipapinya. Now, now that we know that, it doesn't mean that you just go for Sukhapatipada Kipapinya. Those such as Venerable Sariputta who awakened through the Sukhapatipada Kipapinya, he knew all the other Dhammas. So when you read the suttas, you know he had the lion's roar. He knew all the other Dhammas. So we we actually need to learn as well. So then just to quickly, uh, for completeness, the spiritual faculties are sadda, which is the conviction or faith, uh, virya, which is energy, sati is the mindfulness, and then samadhi is the concentration, and then the panya is the wisdom. So we have conviction towards the Buddha's enlightenment. We have applied the energy to overcome all the akutala, the unwholesome states, and we cultivate, develop the wholesome, kusala states. When we have mindfulness, we remember not to fall for the perversions, to stay very, very vigilant. And we develop the concentration so that we unify the mind, we have more upeka, we consolidate. And so this is the samadhi. And then the panya causes the wisdom. This is really about the arising and passing away phenomenon. And knowing that it's the noble eightfold path that leads to the complete cessation of dukkha. So this is what we're trying to uh, sharpen. These are the faculties we're trying to sharpen. So every time we meditate on jnanapathas, the inside pathways, the teachings of the Buddha, we meditate on them, we contemplate the inside pathways, then you sharpen these indriyas, and, and that's quite important. And so some may actually notice this already, that the wisdom faculty has grown, and so have the other faculties. The one that leads is also always the wisdom faculty, and it's the one that actually helps us to complete the path. So now we come to uh, all four, and 
I don't want to go into great detail about this, but what I wanted to highlight in this table was really around the seven, the 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas. So we hear this a lot as the wings of awakening, the things that help us to liberate. So you can see when we actually learn these four different directions, these four doorways to Nibbana, we are actually activating all the wings of awakening. So we are uh, doing the Satipatthana, the four establishments of mindfulness through each of the directions. We also have the four right striving, the Samapadana. We also uh, consolidate the Noble Eightfold Path. There are also the Idipathas, the four bases of spiritual power. And then we also have the Bojangas, the seven enlightenment factors, specifically in this table. But what you don't see specifically is the five powers and the five spiritual faculties. But what we can say is you rely on the the powers in order to activate the spiritual faculties. And as you meditate, you sharpen and you develop them and they help the, all the other things that are helping the process as well. So that's, that's almost like your big picture. So you know how everything kind of works. Because Buddha speaks about them at different times in the suttas, but sometimes it's a very good idea to get, to get that bigger picture, how it all fits in. So here we have now the the pairings and with the pairings, really what you, you find, and you see this in the Petakopadesa, so the Pitika disclosure, you see that on this side you have the illness and it's an illness that keeps escalating. So when we look at Kablinkara Hara, this first unprofitable direction that starts with the physical nutriment, what happens is it's driven a lot by sensual desire. Is driven a lot by coveting, longing, wanting, wanting things that are not really good for us because we end up going the wrong way due to desire. So when this happens, each step is like an escalation of the illness. We have worse symptoms. Think of it that way. Our symptoms get worse. And so on the right-hand side, we have the profitable direction. This is the medicine. And really, when you think about Buddha being a doctor, the medicine that he's giving is actually very, very precise. And that's what you'll see from from the actual pathway. The medicine is very precise for the particular ailment. And rather than going into too much detail here, you can look at this offline, but it matches. So you see that the physical nutriment you need to do, Dukkha Paripada Dhanda Vinya. With the perversion that there is attractive in the unattractive or fair in the foul, the medicine is the kayanupasana, the first establishment of mindfulness. Or clinging to sensual desires, the matching one is the first jhana, and so on it goes. So that gives you an idea. And that's, that's why we apply it in that way. They actually pair off together. So what we have with the... Uh, pathways, we're actually looking at it as aloba, the non-greed path, because the physical nutriment, it goes down the greed path. So what the Pedagopadesa says is the painful practice with slow realization when developed and practiced continuously fulfills the first meditation. So this is the first mental absorption, the, the first jhana. The first jhana fulfilled fulfills the first establishment of mindfulness. The first establishment of mindfulness fulfilled fulfills the first abiding. The first abiding fulfilled fulfills the first right endeavor or right striving. The first right striving fulfilled fulfills the first wonderful and marvelous idea. And so then the first wonderful and marvelous idea fulfilled fulfills the first determination. 
And then the first determination fulfilled fulfills the concentration due to desire or, or, or will. And then the concentration due to will or desire fulfilled fulfills restraint of the sense faculties. And then the restraint of the uh, sense faculties fulfilled fulfills immeasurable loving kindness. And so we're going to decipher what that means. So when you read that, you think, I don't know what all those different things mean, but we're going to actually look at that. So how do we practice this? So we're going to go line by line. This is our deep diving into this and to take a meditation object. So we go to the Asuba Sutta, and this is in Anguttara Nikaya, Chapter 4, Discourse Number 163. And it says, and what's the painful practice with slow realisation? It's when a mendicant meditates, contemplating the attractiveness of the, the unattractiveness of the body, perceiving the repulsiveness of food, perceiving non-delight in the entire world, contemplating the impermanence in all conditioned phenomena, and has the perception of death well established internally. He dwells depending upon these five trainee powers, the power of conviction, the power of moral shame, the power of fear of wrongdoing, the power of energy, the power of wisdom. These five faculties arise in him weekly, the faculty of conviction, the faculty of energy, the faculty of mindfulness, the faculty of concentration, and the faculty of wisdom, because these five spiritual faculties are weak. He slowly attains the immediacy condition for the destruction of the taints. This is called the painful practice with slow realisation. So when you reflect on the Buddha's words, what you can see is that you need to, de to develop five meditations, that these are the meditations that we know most of them. Um, and if not, then we know how to find how to do these meditations. But the, for the purposes of today, we only need to take one meditation object. And as you gradually go through learning Dukkha Danda Binya, you slowly start to establish the other ones as well. Because the importance of it is that when you establish all five, you become unshakable towards the physical nutriment. Now, what Buddha also says is that you depend on the trainee's five powers. So the only difference from uh, the faculties is really the moral chain and the fear of wrongdoing. So we already know how important that is. When we looked at Sekapatipada uh, Sutta, when we looked at the Tayodama Sutta, we know that Lorva is, uh, kicks off because when you don't have moral shame, you know that uh, the Dorsa path, the hate path, it kicks off when you don't have fear of wrongdoing. And so when you have those in place and you have the sadda towards Buddha's enlightenment, you have energy to apply yourself to remove the unwholesome states and develop the wholesome ones and you have the wisdom backing it up, then you convert the, these powers, these trainee powers led by the wisdom into the spiritual faculty. So in this particular case, the spiritual faculties are weak, they're blunt. So what we need to do is really practice these meditations. So let's look at what these meditations are. So we'll go over them briefly. And then what I want to do is actually take one in particular that we can use for this session. So just to give an idea about the different types of meditation objects you can use under each of the categories, just so you know. So 
What happens is when you look at contemplating the unattractiveness of the body, we already know from the Mahasatipatthana Sutta that there's various meditations. So things like the 32 body parts, you contemplate each of the parts of the body. You reflect from the bottom of your feet all the way up to the top of your head and surrounded by skin and then all the things inside and the impurity, the uncleanness of it. Then you can also meditate on the Sutta, which contemplates the body as a boil, that there are things that are oozing out of the body that are unclean. There's a smell to it. It can be quite disgusting. So it's discharging this disgusting, unclean thing. A very similar sutta to that is the Vijaya Sutta, which is in Sutta Nipata, uh, discourse number 1.11. And this is very similar in the sense that it's very graphic and it goes through the nine holes in the body. So two in the eyes, uh, two in the ears, uh, two in the nose, one in the mouth, and then two lower ones where you have urine and excrement. And so you contemplate again what is coming out of these holes and you actually develop what the reason you're doing this is you really want to develop the perception of foul, of repulsive, of unattractive, unclean, because it overcomes anything to do with central desire for the physical nutriment. And then the other types of meditations you can do are the channel ground meditations. So you imagine the body bloated, festering, discolored, and there's about nine different ones in the Mahasattva Sutta. So those are the different ones you can do there. So when you come to the second one, which is the perceiving the repulsiveness of food, well, of course, you can contemplate a plate of food left out for a few days and you know how how that is you can contemplate food waste you can contemplate undigested food that has been regurgitated or vomited you can contemplate the sun's flesh from the Udamansa Sutta you can also contemplate this body as a walking toilet that you eat but then all that comes out is the, the toxic waste you know after you eat the urine and excrement so you can also contemplate that way that you you eat but it converts into this this uh, unclean thing so that's the second one. The third one, the perceiving non-delight in the entire world. This is really like if you know the Haladikani Sutta, this is really that meditation because what you really see in that med- meditation is how you misperceive. You actually go with the vipalasas, the perversions. You see something as fair, beauty, uh, something that you like. And because of that, you expect to get sukkah from it. You value it. You give you a sign of value. You want to gain something. So you want to appropriate. You think it can last. And so you make plans around it and you see the whole cycle of what happens with the craving in the Halalikani Sutta of things in the world. And so it's really around our intention, our volition and, and our grasping really that that meditation really sees, you know, you sees the world for what it really is. And the other one that one, one can do is the Girimananda Sutta that uh, in this sutta, when, when you see the Buddha says that one of the contemplations is this non-delight in the entire world. And what you look at is what are you standing on? You know, in terms of clinging and what you engage in, what are you standing on? So what are your aditanas? What is the glue, the adherences, the abhinivesa? And what is the underlying tendency, the habits that you've, you've taken from before that you keep circling and doing again? And so for most of us, if you think about an example of that, we're standing on our skill. And so what we're glued to is our jobs. Or another way of looking at it is we're 
uh, we're standing on our roles, you know, whether a mother, a father, a daughter, a teacher, whatever those roles are, and what we're standing in is is the result of that wanting um, the acclaim or if it's your mother, your, your son, uh, those sorts of things. And likewise, people in power, they they have the aditana for power and uh, authority. And so what they're standing on is either the actual asset itself, the land, or, you know, if they're in government, then it's the position in the government itself, that particular job. And so the underlying tendency that's driving that could be the desire, the sensual lust, the aversion, one's views, one's doubts, one's conceit, uh, wanting to come to exist for those roles and ignorance basically. And so you can look at it in that way. That's another meditation. Another one is to look at the Dato Vibhanga Sutta, like what are you actually standing on in terms of Chaga, Panya, Satcha and Samadhi, so the wholesome standpoints. So that's another one. Now when it comes to the fourth one, contemplating impermanence in all conditioned phenomena, this is really around uh, the meditation we've done in the Tunda Sutta. That's from the Udana uh, 8.5. This is the Dadato Punyam Pavadati. So when you do that meditation, you know that you're also going through the Dato Vibhanga Sutta in terms of Chaga Aditana, Panya Aditana, Satcha Aditana, Upasamadhi Aditana. In terms of overcoming, like being able to see Anicca in all conditioned phenomena, you're trying to overcome the floods, flood of sensual desires, flood of becoming, flood of views and flood of uh, ignorance. So that's that's quite useful. And there are other meditations that actually go with that one too, including the uh, Girimananda Sutta again. Um, but I won't go into that right now. So the fifth one is developing the perception of death, like having that very well established internally. So we've done this meditation when we looked at the First Noble Truth, where we actually look at the contemplation of our of our own death through the death of a body that we see in front of us. After a few days, you look at it, you compare your body and you contemplate, you know, my body is of the same nature as the dead body right there. And you look at all the different things that happen with the decomposition. So you see the unlasting nature, the the fact that it is subject to decay, that it's not me and mine. And so those are the five kind of uh, meditations that one does and the different ways you can actually do that. Now, at the beginning, it's difficult to do all five, that's for sure. But once you start to learn the meditation really well, what you find is when you bring all five together, it's so powerful. You can't actually shake anymore from the the physical nutriment. And one of the really good ways of actually thinking about it, because what you're trying to do is have a very strong um repulsion towards food, a very strong uh, anicca, uh, asubhasanya of, of this body. And so one of the really good ways when you look at this meditation is always think, what would the noble arahants think when it comes to kablinkara hara? What would they think when it comes to the physical nutriment? Would they see it as attractive? Would they see it as fair? Would they see it as beautiful? And the answer is no. They, they take it the other way. They see it as repulsive. They see it as unclean. They see it in all the ways that when you do this meditation properly, that is how they see it. 
And so they don't get pulled out by their sense faculties like we do. We get pulled out by our eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind all the time towards both agreeable and disagreeable forms. And the Arahants have the corrected view. They don't have the perversions and they have the true mindfulness of the body. They have the Kayanapasana, whereas we still need to activate it time and time again to make sure we're not going down the wrong path. So one of the questions that people always ask is why these five meditations? And I mean, it's a very valid question. And the Buddha answers it um, in the Dutiya Sanya Sutta, Anguttanikaya chapter seven, discourse number 49. He says that when you meditate, and he talks about seven, but we are only looking at five. But when he says, um, you, you correct your, your view, you correct your perversions, then he says that it's very beneficial, it's very fruitful, and it culminates. The end result is that it ends in Nibbana. So when it comes to the first one, if you have this corrected view, the corrected perception, thought, and view about unattractiveness of the body, so foul instead of fair, unattractive instead of attractive, the mind draws back from sexual intercourse. As we know from the Lorba path, the danger is always that we will go back into a mother's womb because we have sensual desire. So when you develop this, what's very strong is that you, you, you're not getting tempted by that, uh, and particularly when you die. And then when it comes to the perception of repulsiveness of food, well, this whole karma world, this sensual pleasure world is around taste. You know, most of us, we, we don't just eat for nourishment. We eat for taste if we're quite honest. And so what the Buddha says, if you really develop this properly, you actually draw back from it for the craving for taste. That's, that's such a blessing when you have that. Then when it comes to perception of non-delight in the entire world, then the mind draws back from the world's beautiful things. We no longer intend in the same way because we see it clearly. And usually what this means is you see the atiyati, harayati, chikuchati. You see that it's troubling. What you take is beautiful. You're shameful when you take it as beautiful. And you're disgusted when you take it as beautiful. Because when you see it clearly, then you know it is not that. And you know, you don't need to go and grab it in that way. Uh, what is in the world is death-bound. So then the contemplation of impermanence in all conditioned phenomena, what does that help you do? It draws you back from Lava Sakara Silokam. It draws you back from wanting to gain more and more material possessions. It stops you from going for acceptance, honor, respect from the world. And it uh, also warns you and draws you back from fame, popularity. So that can be very helpful because when you know what the world is built upon, you look at the world, the lower part of the world, it's built on this. It's built on what can you gain from the world? What can the world give me in terms of respect? In fact, we demand respect, whether it's through our job, through our role. And, you know, you see so much through social media, people wanting fame, wanting popularity. And it doesn't even have to be through social media, whether someone likes your post or likes your photo or likes your talk. It's also in our community. How much do we want people to like us, to be okay with us? So these are the things that it is down the lower path 
And so when you contemplate correctly, it overcomes that. That's part of the, the, the five that Buddha says when you do this Dukkha Paripada Danda Vinya. The fifth one is the perception of death well established internally. This is very much we know from the five frequent contemplations. It's our attachment to life. So when we meditate in this way, we actually see the death-bound nature for all of us. And so we don't get so attached to life. We balance it out. In actual fact, when you have the intention towards Nibbana, you actually go more, more than that. And so that, that becomes very, very important. So these are the benefits. So once you know that, it helps to lend some almost like weight to why you want to do these five meditations. And you can see also why it provides a very strong foundation for what we construct in our lives, how we live our lives, what we expect to get out of life without the right view. And so it's very powerful when you start to see the truth. Now, let's begin by looking at this meditation then. So we started with uh, this Dukkha Paripada Danda Vinya. So we want to take a meditation object. So when we come to the meditation portion, you can pick your best meditation whatever that is, but I'm going to give us one to look at today because it combines both the repulsiveness of food with the correct uh, perception of the body that it is foul in nature rather than fair, so it's unattractive. So the example that we use is undigested food. So the food that is in the body, so we had a plate of food, we ate it, it is now in the body, and it's now sitting there going through the digestion process. So imagine that we have to regurgitate it. Say we get sick, we get food poisoning. And so we have to regurgitate it. It just comes out because we're sick. So after a bad meal, or even if it's not yourself, if some, it happens to somebody else, it could be a baby. Babies always have difficulty with food, so they end up vomiting it out. So we need to contemplate the asuba sanya of this undigested food that has come out of the body. So we originally consumed it and it was very pleasant. We enjoyed it. And then now it has come out. So we, how do we meditate on this? We look at it through our sense faculties. So with the eye, when we see it there, we see it as a combination of bile, acid, the food remnants, different states of being broken down, the saliva, all of it. So with our eye, do we find that pleasing? Do we find that clean? No, we find it quite foul and loathsome, whether it's a baby's regurgitated food or whether it's our own or a friend. It's the same thing. We reject it. With the ear, if we were to hear somebody regurgitating food or if we hear a story about it, we get repulsed by that. So, again, through the ear faculty, we don't want to hear about it. Like right now, nobody probably wants to hear this. Then when it comes to the nose, I mean, this is one of the most powerful ones. There's a smell of undigested food. It's very pungent. It's very smelly. You actually want to run away from it. So if you had to be around it, you would, you would probably faint or want to go away. So the nose rejects it. Then the tongue, if you would have to taste it, like even if it was one, one's own, you immediately want to watch your mouth because the idea of it, let alone the taste of it, is repulsive. So you reject it again. Then the body, if you had to clean it up, if you touched it, you definitely want to go and wash your hands. You know, you want some people want to wash their whole body after having to deal with that. And then when it comes to the mind, as a result of the other five sense faculties rejecting it, the mind also strongly rejects it. 
And so externally, we have now contemplated it is disgusting, it is repulsive. So then we want to look at it internally because now we've seen it's unclean, it's impure. So what is it in the body? So likewise, in the body as undigested food, it is also repulsive. When it is repulsive, you think about what happens to that undigested food. One part goes to waste, another part gets liquidized and becomes blood and um, fuels the rest of the body. So it goes to the other 32 parts of the body through the blood. It flows through our veins and it transports itself. So when you consider blood, for example, blood is not considered pure or clean. When you consider uh, if you play sports, if someone gets injured and they're bleeding, they're immediately taken off and they're immediately cleaned up. You're not allowed to touch anyone with blood. Same as if you are in a car accident or something like that and you have to go to the hospital. You don't see people looking at blood in, in, a, in a way that is, oh, it's clean, we, we want to touch it, all that sort of stuff. Doctors and nurses, they normally clean up. Likewise, if you're a woman, you know very well about blood. It smells, it's, it's unclean, you always want to wash particularly, you know, when you have your menstrual cycle. So that's another way of looking at it. So this blood that is feeding different parts of our body is not clean. So when it uh, helps to create the, the type of hair, the type of skin, again, it is not clean. So when you look at it that way, how we perceive the body is beautiful, how we perceive the body is wonderful, it's not really the case. And that's what we meditate on, that we don't want to be deceived by that. Now, when it comes to that, it's also really you need to go deeper than that because we have very strong views about certain parts of our body. And to really get to the next step, which is the first mental absorption, the first jhana, you really need to take it in a really real sense. So for some people, they take one part of the body. It might be the hair, the head hairs. And someone might say, oh, this hair, my hair is so beautiful. I brush it, I wash it, all those things. But when you think about you go to a restaurant and someone has cooked something and you're eating and you find someone's hair in your food, most people freak out. They want to send the dish back. So that tells you that thing that you take as beautiful and wonderful in a real sense for you, if you have this example, like you've been through this experience before, then it's not. You really take the asuba of it. And so in that way, you can look at it that way. Some people look at the bones, that they see the bones in the body and they have a very strong skeleton meditation. Other people look at urine excrement or blood and they have a very strong experience with it where they really correct the view that it is, is something clean and pure and, and attractive and they really see it's really smelly and horrible and unclean. And so in this part of the meditation, you want to take something that is penetrated well. You don't want to be able to have any sense of suba, of attractive, of beauty, of fair. You want to correct it. So that's what you do. If you take that very strongly, then you will enter the first jhana. And the, the real thing is, even about the cleanliness, the fact that we wash our bodies so much, our hair, all the whole body so much, proves that it is also unclean, the smell of it, the sweat of it, the, the dirt. So once you have that very strong meditation, you enter the first jhana. So with this first jhana, if you do the first part of the meditation very well, then what happens is 
the bodily and mental pain starts to subside and instead you get the bodily and mental pleasure arising in the mind. And so what you're overcoming is you no longer have sensual desire because you've corrected your perverse perceptions, thoughts and views. And you see that sensual desires are not beautiful. They're actually part of this, uh, you know, unclean, impure thing. It's actually not what you thought. And so what happens with your thought in your examination of your meditation object is that you overcome uh, the central desire for the 32 parts of the body. And so that's when the, the head starts to experience the rapture, the pee-pee. It starts to uh, flow around the head. That's how you, you recognize the first jhana. So as this uh, sutta says, it says, secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, one enters and dwells in the first mental absorption, which is accompanied by thought and examination. So this can also be called the initial and sustained application with rapture and happiness born of seclusion. This is called the first jhana. So sometimes we wobble from that when when we haven't established the meditation very well. So it's always good to spend a little bit of time establishing that first part really well so we don't wobble out of this this first jhana but if you take a very very powerful meditation object then then you won't shake so then after that we come to the first establishment of mindfulness so this as we said is the kayanupasana mindfulness of the body now there are many ways of doing mindfulness of the body so if you go to the mahasatthikatana sutta there's many many different things that one can do but the most useful, because we've just done this last poya, is the arising and passing away of form. So we looked at the five aggregates, but in this case, we're focusing on the physical nutriment. So it's only form that we need to do. So if you remember, this is the Samadhi Bhavana Sutta. And we really want to through this meditation, we've seen it as it really is. So we're no longer giving value to food. We're no longer giving value to the 32 parts of the body. So what is the arising of form? So we're trying to see form for what it really is. So we need to look at the arising of form and the passing away of form. So the Samadhi Bhavana Sutta, if you remember, it says one seeks delight in form, welcomes it, remains holding to it. So Abhinandati, Abhiwadati, Ajosaya Titati. So because of this, that's the tanha, the craving, delight arises. So Nandi arises. Delight in form is clinging, Upadana. Then with one's clinging as condition, existence comes to be. This is the bhava. With existence as condition, birth comes to be. So that's jati. With birth as condition, aging and death. So uh, we get this jati, jara, marana. And then you get the whole mass of suffering. So the sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness and despair come to be. Such is the origin of the whole mass of suffering. So this is the samudaya. Then after that, you meditate on the atangama, the passing away of form. So what do we do? We know we don't seek delight, we don't welcome, we don't remain holding. So nabi nandati, nabi wadati, najosayatitati. And what is it that one does not seek delight in? Well, when you don't seek delight in form, what happens is the delight ceases, delight in form ceases. So this is the... Uh, the nandi that we were saying before, there's the cessation of nandi. So the cessation of delight, with that comes the cessation of clinging, the cessation of clinging, with that comes the cessation of existence, with that comes the cessation of birth, cessation of aging and death, and then there is no more dukkha, no more suffering. So we meditate on that as well. 
Now, this is a very important part of this meditation because when you do this, as we know from our last Poya session, that we start to understand part of the links in the Paticca Samuppada, the dependent origination process. So there are a number of links here. We see that if there is no craving, then there is no clinging. Or we see if there is no clinging, there is no bhava coming to exist. If there is no bhava, there is no birth. So if there is no birth, there is no aging and death. If there is no aging and death, there is no suffering. So any one of those links, if you in your meditation truly, truly see any of those links that you can break them, then you understand. What do you understand? You understand the first noble truth. That's the most important part of this meditation. So this Paticca Samuppada is very, very important. That That's why we do the Samudayana Tangama of Rupa, of form. So when you have that, essentially what happens is you enter the Dibhavahara, so the heavenly abode. Now what is this? This is the four jhanas. So what happened is Buddha was asked one time by a Brahmin, and this is in the Vena Gapura Sutta, Anguttara Nikaya chapter 3, discourse number 63. And the Brahmin was asking the Buddha about literal uh, high and luxurious seating. And the Buddha didn't answer in the way of not being able to afford, you know, certain luxurious seats, like literal seats. He actually talked about the four different kinds of high and luxurious seats that he occupied. And so the first uh, set of seats is what we look at in this Dukkapatipadadanda uh, Binya, which is the heavenly uh, seats, the heavenly abodes, which is the four form jhanas. He also talked about the, the second type of seats, which is in the divine uh, way, which is the Brahma Viharas. And that applies to the Dukkapatipadakipa Binya, so the second pathway, second profitable direction. In the third profitable direction, the, the luxurious and high seats that the Buddha talks about is the Arya uh, Vihara, which is the Arya attainments. And then the last one for the fourth profitable, profitable direction, Sukhavatipadakipa Binya, the Buddha talks about Anendra um, in terms of the imperturbable. So these are the four foremost jhanas. So they're very different from what this Brahman was asking the Buddha. And in, in the case of what we're meditating on now, we're looking at the Dibha Vihara, so the, the four form jhanas. Now, what's important about this meditation is that when we get to this point, we realize because our meditation object was very strong, we can see the arising and passing away of the form. What happens is at this point, only at this point can we really see we're out of almost like the cesspool that we've been living in. What we took as beautiful and lovely, it's really foul. We've been living in a cesspool. So one of the similes that is often used is like you're a worm in the dung, like the cow dung, but you didn't know you were that. You were rollicking about thinking, oh, this is great, this is wow, you know, which is the abhinandati, abhiwadati, and then you remain holding. So when you're in this vihara, you see it as it really is. And what's really important is because you saw the dependent origination, what makes it different from the first jhana is that you're now touching nibbana. You see the difference, okay? So you now you can see there's something outside of that cesspool, outside of the cow dung that you thought originally was great, 
And it really isn't because you're now in the Dibba Vihara and you know there's something else better. So everything else was wrapped up, looking beautiful, looking attractive, but it's really smelly, foul, and quite unclean. So you've uncovered the truth. The wrapping is actually deceiving you. So what you realize in this particular step when you're in the jhanas is you don't want to go back to the cesspool. So if you're the worm in the cow dung, you don't want to go back to the cow dung because you're touching Nibbana. You get a glimpse of it. And in this way, you are already overcoming the bond of sensual desire. So that's why jhanas are very important because in the first jhana, you overcome the five hindrances. You also overcome stinginess and, and any desire towards sensual pleasures. So really what the Buddha says as well, something for us to remember that even if you're, you have path and fruit, even if you have magapala, what happens is if you don't frequently go to, to at least the first jhana, you can still be tempted by sensual pleasures. So that's why it's very important to, to practice frequently the jhana. And doing these meditations is very easy to because you develop a very strong meditation object. So from the four jhanas, what happens is uh, you realize you don't want to go back to the cesspool or if you're the worm, you don't want to go back to the cow dung. So what you realize is that you need to make effort to maintain the concentration. So how do you do that? You do it with the first right striving. So what is this first right striving? It means you need some effort to kick in. You need to apply energy. So the first one is one generates desire for the non-arising of unarisen, bad, unwholesome states. You make an effort. You arouse energy and you apply your mind and you strive. So what are these unarisen, unwholesome, evil states? Well, we know they are sensual thinking, ill will thinking, and harmful thinking. So these are the karma vitakka, the apada vitakka, and vihinsa vitakka. These are the evil and wholesome states. But the most important one is that if we ha- if we have any longing for anything, so if in in the darkness you think, oh, I want to go back to something in the world, then that's where you lose. You lose your concentration. So what you want to do is you want to not do that. You want to overcome this coveting. And so what you do is you remember, I don't want to allow any of those kinds of thoughts to come in the way. I'm not going to value anything because I am touching Nibbana. So I know that if I have any coveting thoughts, any sensual desire thoughts, it leads to ill will, it leads to dormanasa, it leads to all these things that take me out of this, this touching Nibbana. And you know you can't fix it with anything in the world. You, you, you can actually see that. So where does that leave you? Well, this understanding is you understand the first noble truth. So we know we can't fix our predicament with something in the world. Now, what does that mean? So what Buddha says about the noble truth of suffering, we've been through this before. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness, and despair is suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not getting what we want is suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. So we did a few meditations on this. But the biggest thing that we know from this is that with birth, 
It leads to aging, it leads to sickness, and it leads to death. And all of that is dukkha. And every time we try and fix it, we can't. We've tried to fix it with central pleasures. We've tried to fix it with all our different kinds of meditation tools. But ultimately, we can't fix it. Our predicament is so great. Everything is death-bound. Everything that we construct is death-bound, is what we see from the first noble truth. And so it's like saying, can we fix this body with something in the world? The answer is no. We are still bound to old age, sickness, and death. It's like the, the same with the worm in the cow dung. Can that worm be cured of the same predicament? The answer is no. And so what we experience is very unpleasant, very painful. Only what we get is temporary sukkah. You know, very temporary, and then it slides again. So we don't actually get what we want. What we ultimately want is something that is permanent, something that is lasting, something that where the conditions don't slide and, and we don't have to experience any kind of dukkha. And so when we really penetrate the first noble truth, we understand this is a universal or common truth. It's not personal. It's not individual to us. It's to all sentient beings. We are all subject to this. So really when you understand that, you understand that when you contemplate even the perception of suffering and impermanence, this anicca dukkha sanya, it's also very fruitful. When, you, when we did the meditation on the five aggregates that we're subject to change, you know, aging and sickness and death, it doesn't last. It's fragile. It's ephemeral. It... Um, when we understand that, we can't take this as me and me and mine because of the vipranama dukkha. We can't take it as me and mine. And so then we understand from both the dukkha sutta, which is about this anicca dukkha sanya, but also from the dukkha sutta that there are the three kinds of suffering. And we've looked at this, you know, the vipranama dukkha, the painfulness in change. We've looked at the dukkha dukkha, painfulness in pain. And we've looked at the sankhara dukkha, which is the painfulness in construction. No matter what we do, what we construct, whatever sense contact we make with any kind of object, no matter what feeling arises from that experience, it leads to these three kinds of dukkha. So this is our predicament. When you bring all of that together, you, you get this wonderful and marvelous idea that starts with this jati jara vyati maranam people ask why does why is it called first wonderful and marvelous idea well as we know from meditating on the first noble truth we know that when you meditate on it and you see this truth when you fully penetrate it and understand it rapture arises in the mind joy like a relief that ah. Oh, this is what it's all about. This is the predicament. I don't need to go out and strive, strive, strive in the world to try and fix this. It cannot be fixed. And so when you really see that, that process, that's when it's the wonderful and marvelous idea, the first noble truth of suffering. And you overcome the karmasava, the taint of sensual desires, because that taint, if we remember from Kaplinkara Hara Nyanapata, uh, we always have this perception, we can fix this, we can find sukha in the world, we can find lasting sukha, but we're, we're always, uh, we always find it's not true. We always find that we're gazumped. 
we get this temporary happiness, it's life, death bound, again, dukkha. We go at it again, try and fix it again the same. And so you overcome karmasana because you realize the first noble truth, you cannot fix it. Or you end up with this dhormanasa, sadness. So when you realize this, what you realize is you want to make the determination for truth. So what's really helpful is the Gata Vibhanga Sutta. Many of you have heard this Gata before, but the Buddha talks about a bhikkhu possessing this wisdom possesses the supreme foundation of wisdom, namely the knowledge of destruction of all suffering, so the cessation of all suffering. So his deliverance being founded upon truth is unshakable. Or what is false bhikkhu which has a deceptive nature? And what is true, which has an undeceptive nature, that is Nibbana. Therefore, a bhikkhu possessing this truth possesses the supreme determination for truth. For this, bhikkhu is the supreme noble truth, namely Nibbana, which has undeceptive nature. So in Pali, this is Musa Yang Mosadhamma, Tam Satchang Yang Amosadhamma Nibbana. If you remember that gatha, it's so amazingly wonderful because essentially, what we are determining is what's in the world, what we've been taught about, what we've been conditioned by, what we've experienced so far, what we put value to, it's all false, you know. So you test it out, like the science and the knowledge in the world, the medicine in the world. They're relatively true at some point, but they're not ultimately true. They can't fix this predicament. So medicine, for example, let's take the four illnesses that the, the Buddha says are, you know, fundamental illnesses, hunger, thirst, uh, because we eat and drink, then for, therefore we have uh, to, to urinate and, and have excrement. So this process, there is no medicine that can fix us of this. I mean, isn't that true? We are always troubled by hunger. We're always troubled by thirst. And then as a result, we're troubled by the other two. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to get hungry, get thirsty, now, nothing in the world can fix that. So already there's, there's, there's a few things. But even if you think about medicine right now, not to disparage medicine, some of the good that it does, but ultimately the cancers in the world, the flu, all the different kinds of illnesses that have arisen and will still arise, sometimes they can temporarily treat symptoms, but they can never fully heal the body. And so when you know that, you know, actually, there's something false and deceptive around it. There is no long-lasting happiness, even by trying to fix it in that way. Same with physics and science. You try and understand things through the physics and science right now, and a lot of people will say it's so advanced. But you find even if you're in the science field, you discover something through a hypothesis. There's research and findings. But then, you know, a few years later, it gets gazumped, it gets disproved, it gets superseded. Maybe sometimes they even tell you it wasn't right. And so it goes on and on like that. And you can see it in many, many different ways, but those are just two. And so when you investigate, when you look at this determination for truth and you really see and you start to really grow and develop the sadda towards Buddha and what he is trying to really tell us, then you realize that when Buddha says only Nibbana doesn't lie to you, is not deceptive, it's the only thing that lasts. If you really, really, really see that in your, me- in your meditation, 
then you make the determination or the resolution, the Abhidhana, not to take anything outside of Nibbana as the truth. Because everything else you see is constructed, it's fragile, it's a lie. But Nibbana is the only lasting, permanent thing, not subject to change. Everything you, you observe in the world, it changes. So when you construct anything with vijnana, with consciousness, it always dies. It has the death-bound nature. It doesn't last. We can't sustain it. We can't fix it. So with this sacha aditana, this determination for truth, our desire for this consciousness that doesn't last, it subsides, it reduces, it diminishes. And what desire arises is the desire for the attainment of lasting nibbana. And so that's how we overcome the, the karma orga, the flood of sensual desires. It's through this satcha aditana. So when you have this satcha aditana, as we said, the desire for lasting nibbana arises, the attainment of nibbana, and the desire for the uh, consciousness, which is unlasting, it, it subsides. So this is where the chanda samadhi comes. This is the concentration due to desire. So what we know uh, when we look at Ipipadas in particular, uh, the Buddha says that this is when you gain the concentration, the one-pointedness of mind based on desire. And this is the desire for the attainment of Nibbana, something that lasts, something that doesn't change. So what's really important about this is that there are two enemies of Chanda Samadhi, of this concentration due to desire. And of course, because this is the Loba path, it's the covetousness, it's the bija. That is one of the enemies. The second enemy is the Dhammanasa, because the minute you have a bija, you get Dukkha Dhammanasa. You get the pain and you get the sadness. And so the two enemies are the covetousness, the abhija, and the sadness, the dominasa. We can't fix it, actually. But we still, uh, if we don't, haven't fully penetrated the truth, then sometimes this abhija still is there. It still arises in the, in the greed path. So what do we do? Now, we know this. If we want to guard, we need the security guard. We need to um, put that security guard in place. So we know that we need to restrain the sense faculties because that's how it comes in. We look from the eye, we uh, hear from the ear, we smell from the nose, we taste with the tongue, we uh, touch with the body, and then we uh, investigate with the mind. So as we've said many, many times, we need to protect. So one of the suttas is Sangara Sutta, where you actually make sure that you don't allow any unwholesome states to arise because you don't want the Abhija Dhammanasa. So you guard it. You guard all the sense doors. The other sutta that's very helpful is always the Kumapama Sutta, the simile of the tortoise. Whenever it senses danger from a predator, it retracts its head, its limbs into the hard shell. It doesn't allow any vulnerability to come. And that's how we guard the sense doors. So we know this from many, many suttas, Pamada Vihari Sutta as well, how we stay very, very vigilant. And so where this connects is with the Karaniya Metta Sutta, that we know as Santindriyo that we need to actually protect the sense doors. In Santindriyo, we know this as controlling the sense faculties. So what we do is 
we know that Santindrio, which is the same as this Indriya Sambara, so right here, controlled in the sense faculties, we know this as grade six in Metta school. So grade six in Metta school, we know that basically with this, we want to restrain because we don't want to come back into the mother's womb. How does that happen? It happens because Vinyana steadies itself on form. So when we were looking at this uh, sense restraint, the opposite or the pairing for restraint of the sense faculties is when Vinyana steadies on form. That's how we go back into the mother's womb because we are still deceived. So that's why we guard. In our meditation, when we, when we see this, when we take our meditation object as the uh, undigested food, what we recognize is that we don't want to look at that. We know it is foul. We know it is disgusting. We know that it is unclean. It's not what we thought it was. So we know that when it comes to Indriya Sangara, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to taste it. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to smell it. And we don't want to think about it. So that's where it kicks in. Now, when we come to the immeasurable metta, we know that we want to spread that in all directions. But what we need to do is we need to go back to this grade six. So we continue with our meditation that we know. We continue through to all the different steps from grade six. We go seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, all the way to fifteen. So how do we do this? The same way we would do karaniya metta. We would uh, be prudent. So nipako, we would have apagabo, uh, courteousness. We would have not yearning to associate with families and groups. We treat everybody the same. This is in order to be able to spread metta. We wish everybody not to, not to have suffering, to be happy. And we have, we remove any further anger or ill will, you know, not to wish anybody to suffer. And then we come to step number 13, silava. We are virtuous. So at this point, we have the nine skilled states, if you remember. So we have gone through all the bodily is gone, all the verbal is gone. And so all that is left, we've got the right view, especially from the Dukkha Paripada Dhanda Binya. It's very, very strong. We have the right view. And we've given up the ill will. And, and so we have nine skilled states. What's the last thing? It is really that we have karma souvenir get done. So we want to remove the bija. No more greed for sensual pleasures. So when we do that, the last step is nahi jato gabba punarepiti. We don't want to come back into the mother's womb. Now, if we take the meditation object we had to begin with, from six, we understand, we don't want to look at it, we don't want to taste it, all of that sort of stuff through the sense faculties. Not yearning to associate with families or groups. If we still take that same meditation object of the undigested food, we also say the same thing, except this time we don't expect sukha from families or any other things in our lives. We understand we also give up the undigested food. What is undigested food in our body is also that in the bodies of our loved ones. So we're not going with the feeling of wanting that, that which is foul in nature, death-bound. 
And so when we come to the end, it's the same thing. We don't want to go back into the mother's womb to be with the undigested food. So that's why this meditation is so very powerful that we really, really do see the connection from our meditation object all the way through. And if you do it very, very gradually, you take the time, you really try and see it in your mind, you really take the real examples, then this can be very, very powerful. So at this point in terms of the metta, we spread immeasurable metta to all living beings. So this immeasurable metta, it is like the metta that a mother has with the purified, the 10 skilled states, the purified bodily conduct, the purified verbal conduct, the purified mental conduct. And so we spread that in all directions to all sentient beings. We spread it without any preferences, without any biases, and to everything that we can see, we can't see near and far, all different sizes. We spread that in all directions. And so this is really... This is really Dukkha Patipada Danda Binya. So it's a very, very strong meditation, although it's painful. And if you keep meditating, what you understand is that what makes it immeasurable metta is the true understanding of the first noble truth, the true understanding that all sentient beings are subject to birth, old age, sickness, and death. And so... When you really take that into the meditation and you also see the arising and passing away of form, then where you get to is is you don't wish any harm on anybody else, no ill will, nothing like that at all. And so what's really beautiful about this meditation is Buddha always talks about when we meditate and we develop the Noble Eightfold Path, what we try and do is see five things. We try and see the... uh, Samudaya, Atangama, Asada, Adinava, and the Nisarana. So what is that? Samudaya is the arising, the arising of the five aggregates. In this case, we look at the arising of four. Then you look at the Atangama. You want to see the passing away or the cessation, even the Niroda of four. So what you're seeing is you're seeing that uh, uh, the passing away, that you're no longer caught in the trap. Then you see the asada. So asada is really that you took delight in something that you thought was gratifying, but then you realize the truth. It's not really gratifying. So then what you see is the adhinava, the danger. The danger is that you come back into a mother's womb or you come back into another existence and you're still bound to samsara. And then the nisarana is the escape. You see in this meditation that there is an escape through the doorway of metta apamana, the immeasurable metta. And so you think in your mind, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu to the Buddha, because it, it can be very, very, very clear when you do this meditation. So despite it being painful, if you admit that we are still very much interested in the world, take delight in the world, misapprehend these bodies, misapprehend food, you know, misapprehend so many different things, too intoxicated with life. If you can even admit a little bit of that, if not a whole lot, then you understand how precious this meditation is, why it is is a, a doorway to Nibbana. So let's, uh, let's do this meditation. 
And one, one more slide is uh, in the Metta Bhavana Sutta, which is also in the Metta Sutta, both uh, uh, Itivutika and also Angutanikaya, it says that for one who ever mindful develops immeasurable loving kindness, the fetters thin out as he sees the destruction of acquisitions. So in this process, if you keep practicing this first doorway to Nibbana, and this also applies to Karinya Metta, but it's stronger if you do the Dukkha Patipada Danda Binya. And I would always say if you do the Subha Bhavana, you make sure you always finish with the Appamana Metta. So Metta Appamana, always do that. Don't just stop at doing a Subha Bhavana. Go all the way through because it's safer and it's also complete. So what uh, the Buddha means by the fetters thin out, uh, that... Uh, what happens is you start to witter away. Uh, it starts to wear out because you're really seeing the truth and you really have the noble wish. And the destruction of acquisitions is as you start to take less delight in the world, as you start to be with the truth, then the acquisitions, what are these? These are the upadis. So there are the kilesas, the defilements. You no longer want to be with the defilements. You no longer want to hang out with people who are imbued in the defilements. You understand the khandas, the aggregates very well. So you're not holding on to the five aggregates as me and mine. You also understand that these volitional formations, the sankharas, in this case the abhisankharas, those that are imbued with greed, hatred and delusion, you no longer dupe by that. You want to actually take them as as not me and mine. You, you, you don't want to create any more new uh, sankharas that are imbued with greed, hatred, and delusion. And then what's the last one? Uh, karma guna. So the cords of sensual pleasure. So you're no longer uh, going towards the sensual pleasures through the, through the five sense faculties. You're no longer interested. You see this, the asuba, sanya, and the uh, Vipalasa very, very well. You're not deceived by the perceptions. You don't think about them in the wrong way and the view has been corrected. So that's what it means by you start to destroy the acquisitions. You're no longer caught in the trap. Your sickness is getting healed. It's a very powerful meditation. So we can look at doing this meditation. So we can, since we have time, we can spend a longer time, maybe around 20 minutes to do this meditation. So let me quickly run through this meditation again so you, you don't get too alarmed that uh, that this meditation is, is difficult because I think one of the things is it can seem difficult because there's a lot of parts to it. But once you write it down, and some of you may have written it down already from previous times. Um, but once you write it down, once the terms don't feel so overwhelming, and once you get really familiar, you practice, you know, eyes open first and you practice eyes closed, it gets easier and you really, the wisdom faculty opens up, all the spiritual faculties open up, even the bojangas get activated, you have the satipatthana, you have the samapadana, you know, you have the certain things that are, that are really activating for you. So essentially what happens is you're breaking Paticca Samupada, you're breaking the link, and that is a wonderful and marvellous thing. So let's let's look at this meditation. So let's go through the steps and then we'll do the meditation. So I will still use the same um, meditation object we went through today. 
So you take that meditation object, or if you don't want to, you take your best med- meditation object of those five that we went through. And today we use the one about undigested food that had been regurgitated. So you examine that externally. So you examine it through the ear, eye, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And you know that you reject it. You see that as loathsome, repulsive, unclean. It's how it's not beautiful, attractive, um, fair. Then you examine it internally that through the digestion process, it gets broken down. Some of it goes through our blood. The blood blood we've investigated or you investigate in your meditation is also foul. It goes through the veins to the 32 parts of the body. You investigate 32 parts of the body and you keep holding to the perception of foulness, of repulsiveness, of unattractiveness. That's what you hold on to. And so then you take one particular body part so that you can investigate and deepen the meditation of the foulness. So whatever is the most powerful for you to get to that first jhana. When you investigate that and you enter the first jhana, you realize you want to give up these 32 parts of the body because you want to overcome the sensual desire, that there's nothing there. When you see the foulness, it's actually just wrapping. It's actually, in reality, the truth is foul. And so then the rapture starts flowing around your head. At this point, you start contemplating the rising and passing away of form. So this is what we learn from the Samadhi Bhavana Sutta. So you go through the Samudaya, the rising. So you uh, seek delight. You welcome your rain holding to the form. And therefore, delight arises in the form. Because of delight, clinging arises. With clinging as a condition, then existence. With existence as condition, then birth. With birth as a condition, then aging and death, and then the whole mass of suffering. So this is a samudaya. This is the danger of, of taking it as in the wrong way. But because we know that it is really atuba and it's actually dukkha as a result of that, so we don't seek delight. We go through the angama of it, the passing away. So we don't seek delight. Nabhinandati. We don't welcome Nabhivadati. We don't remain holding Nadosayatati. Therefore, delight, this nandi, it ceases. If there is no delight, there is a cessation of clinging. There's no clinging. If there's a cessation of clinging, that means there's a cessation of existence. So there's no bhava. If there's no bhava, then there's no birth. If there's no birth, there's no aging and death. If there's no aging and death, then there is no suffering. So the whole mass of suffering doesn't come. So the important part of this is in your meditation, remember, can you see the links that you are breaking? You break it either at craving, so you you break it at that point, or you break it at the point of upadana, the clinging. You break it at that point, then you break the, the link to bhava, so there's no bhava. Or you can break it at bhava, if you break it at coming to existing, there is no birthing, no jati. Or if you know that if you break it at jati, there is no uh, jara marana, the aging and death. And so like that, you see where you break that. And that's the most important part of this meditation because then what you really see is that you enter the, the jhanas, you, the full jhanas, the dibhavahara. So what you realize at this you realize when you're in the four jhanas, I've been living this life, enjoying all the things in the world with my sense faculties. So I've really been living in something that is more like a cesspool. 
it's not what I thought it was. There's really the foulness in, in most of the things and, and the death found nature of all those things. So you can remember the worm and the cow dung and you realize you're touching Nibbana. So that's where you see the, the difference. You see there's something outside of what you've experienced in the world, which is much more powerful that, that is different from the cow dung that is foul, that is uh, sliding, has the dead, the dying nature, doesn't have any permanent sukkah. So when that happens, you're touching Nibbana, you want to make an effort to stay with this, not to go back to the world. So this is the first right striving, the first samapadana. You make the effort not to have unwholesome thoughts, the unarisen unwholesome thoughts. So what are they? They're the thoughts of sensuality, the thoughts of ill will, thoughts of cruelty or harm. We don't want to go back to the world, so we don't want to long for anything in the world. So when that happens, that's when the effort kicks in. So this is very important. You need to apply effort to maintain, not to go back into the world in your meditation. And so then we come to the first wonderful and marvelous idea. And so this is really knowing our predicament is this first noble truth. If there is birth, there is old age, sickness, and death. We realize we can't fix anything. Right, So what we contemplate at this point, we can't fix it with food. We can't fix it with our loved ones. We can't fix it with material objects. We can't fix it with medicine. We can't fix it with any other type of knowledge because everything that is constructed dies. It slides. You can't maintain even the temporary super feeling. And so when you can't fix even these bodies or other people's bodies, you can't fix the worm who is rolling around in the cow dung, then you know that you remember Anicca Dukkha that if it is unlasting, if it is subject to change, then it's really Dukkha. You know, we experience the three kinds of Dukkha, Vipranama Dukkha, Dukkha Dukkha, and Sankara Dukkha. It's all Dukkha. Every single feeling we go through, where even if it's pleasant, it ends up in Dukkha. So this is the wonderful and marvelous thing. In the meditation, it can be quite joyful and rapturous that you really, it's a relief. It's like, oh, I see it. I truly see it. I truly see the first noble truth. And so when you see that, you make the determination for truth. So we are here now, this this first determination. We say, what is false in the world, what we were tricked by, what we are trapped by before in the world, it's lying to us, deceptive, because it always slides, it changes. So what is true is Nibbana, like the Buddha says. Nibbana is lasting. We only get a taste of it. So in the in the, in the Dibha Vihara, we only get a taste of it. But if we have Sadda towards Buddha, we believe him when he says that, Nibbana lasts. It doesn't shake. It doesn't slide. And Buddha always talks about Nibbana as supreme happiness for that reason. So consciousness is what is always dying. Whatever we construct with consciousness slides. It doesn't last. It can't be fixed or sustained. So that's false and deceptive. So if we can't construct anything with consciousness to last, then we make the determination out of desire 
and we go to the content, concentration due to desire. We go to this Chanda Samadhi, which is we make the determination that we don't want this uh, consciousness that doesn't last, you know, always death-bound. What we want is we desire the attainment of lasting Nibbana. So we get to Chanda Samadhi. In Chanda Samadhi, we know we want to stay away from Abhita Dhammanasa, the covetousness and the sadness. So what do we need to do? We know to protect that concentration, we need Indriya Samvara. So we are here now. So Indriya Samvara connects with Santindriya. So we put the security guard in place. We're controlling our sense faculties. We're like the tortoise who has retracted its head and its limbs. We don't want to look. We don't want to hear. We don't want to uh, taste, touch, smell. We don't want our mind to activate. We want it to be peaceful with this Chanda Samadhi. So now we go from grade six in Metta school and we run through the rest of Karaniya Metta. So we go uh, through all the way through uh, prudent, courteous, not yearning for families or groups. We wish all beings to be happy. We give up the anger and the ill will. We become virtuous, you know, the nine skill states at that point. Then we give up the lust in the senses. So we give up abhija entirely and we make a wish not to come back to a mother's womb. So we don't want vinyana to establish there. And where this connects with our meditation is we remember the undigested food is what we uh, found to be foul, to be repulsive, both externally and internally in the body. What we know that we do, through feeling, through feeling, we don't want to go towards that either. And also at the end, when we come to the final step in this metabhavana, we know we don't want to go into the mother's womb to be with the same undigested food because it is foul in nature. We know that to be true. All the way through this meditation, we know that to be true. And so from this point, we have the 10 skilled states. So we spread metta, immeasurable metta, like a mother with purified physical, verbal, mental conduct. We spread it in all directions. So we wish may all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings have the door of Nibbana to be open to them. So all living beings are in the same predicament as us. Birth, aging, sickness, death. May, may they be free from the whole mass of suffering. So there's no distinction in how we spread this, this metta. And so we want them to also be free of the predicament of samsara. So we can do this meditation. That's how you do the meditation. Do the best you can. Uh, what you can do is at least start the meditation off and go as far as you can with it. But make sure you try your best to come to the, the end with, with the spreading of metta apamana. So you start with this super practice and then you go to the metta apamana at the end. So let's do this meditation for... Uh, 15 to 20 minutes, I'll uh, bring us out of the meditation. So let's start now and begin this meditation. Theravan Saranai. Theravan Saranai, we can come out of the meditation now.
So you probably will notice you need a little bit more time with meditation. So that's probably just the nature of this particular meditation. And it needs to be built gradually. So we can just look at one more slide and then we'll go to questions and answers. So just a few tips and a bit of advice uh, when it comes to Dukkha Patipada Dandha Binya. Like I was saying, it's good to take some time upfront to learn the meditation correctly. So, you know, it's like when you memorize um, for metta, metta school, you, you want to know the steps so you can do the meditation and you can perfect it eventually. So the same thing with these doorways to Nibbana, you need to study it. Uh, part of the Buddha's learning system is always to study it, um, memorize, uh, write things down, uh, learn in the way that resonates. And then when you meditate on it, the insight will come because if you always look at papers and things like that, what happens is in the beginning it's okay, but later on you don't allow the spiritual faculties to sharpen. So part of this, because this is weak faculties, we need to sharpen our faculties. And so when we know that, we make extra effort towards it up front. And the same thing goes with when you build this meditation Always spend more time on the meditation object up front because that's where your investment is. So even if it's one meditation that you take one meditation object, such as what we did, which is the regurgitated undigested food, that when you establish this really well and you go through the 32 body parts, you do it externally, internally, and then you really look at uh, one particular part of the body really well, then the rest of the meditation can flow relatively well because the asubha sanya is very, very strong. So that's what I would recommend. Now, if you are more intermediate to advanced with this meditation, I would strongly recommend if you haven't done so already to look at the five meditation objects together because as we have seen from this session, a lot of things are overcome when you know all five. So you you start to not take so much delight in the world. You know there is no sukkah, lasting sukkah there. You overcome the danger of coming back to a mother's womb. You overcome the danger of taste. You overcome the danger of um, taking refuge in anything, wanting to know things in the world. And you are prepared also for the ultimate exam, which is, um, you know, all of us, we are subject to, to death at some point. So these are the things that is very good. Now, Always, as I said before, end with the metta apamana, the immeasurable metta. End with that. So you contemplate the perception of asubha, so the asubha sanya, the contemplation of unattractive, foul, repulsive. But don't stop there. Sometimes the inclination is I only have a little bit of time, so I'll, I'll just stop there. But the thing is, there is a little danger with it. Because as we know from the suttas, some of the monks kept doing their subha practice, but they didn't end with metta, I would assume. So they had quite dire results. And so for us, we don't want to ever be in that position. So it's good to always complete the inside pathway as the Buddha has given us. And then, as I said at the front, it's good to contemplate what the noble arahants would see in terms of the physical nutriment, in terms of any of the things in the meditation, how would the noble arahants view this? How would the noble arahants practice? What would they let go of? Because that gives us more of a connection to the ones that have walked this path before, the ones that know this Dhamma really well, the ones that have you know much higher wisdom than us. And then part of the nuance, like the subtleties of this meditation, 
is to really know that with metta, you really need to penetrate the first noble truth. They go together. You only ever get to immeasurable metta, metta pamana, if you have penetrated the first noble truth. So the noble truth of suffering, noble truth of dukkha. So you really understand jat pitukha, jaram pitukha, vyadi pitukha, maranam pitukha. And of course, Dependent origination is also very important in this, at the obvious. So Samadhi Bhavana Sutta, knowing the Samudaya Tangama, knowing how it arises, how it passes, so we don't get trapped. So in this particular instance, it's always about the physical nutriment, about form. And then if you have difficulty with metta, like as we've looked at before in Vatupama Sutta, stinginess, the Mataria is always something that one needs to look into. So stinginess is always associated with feeling. We are stingy or selfish because we crave sukha feeling. The sukha feeling from gain, so that's the first kind of stinginess. The sukha feeling from having a good reputation, so the vannamacharya. The stinginess from, you know, our families and our groups and who we belong to, who we have preferences towards. Uh, that's also, we seek sukha from that. So that's the Kulamacharya. There's also the Avasamacharya, which is, you know, it can be our dwellings. But ultimately, if you think about our most precious home, it is this body. And so we can be quite stingy around uh, this body and something to look at. We seek sukha through a lot of the body, whether it's the beautification of the body or other things associated with the body. You know, this is our real home uh, or what we think is our real home. Uh, in this samsara and then the last one is always dhamma dhamma macharya we seek sukha from our views our opinions what we take as knowledge and everything so if there is a block to metta usually it is around the stinginess and so to go back into it to really look at where where do i i i uh, cultivate this particular defilement can be very helpful in removing blocks and then as I said before, yeah, to contemplate the, the five meditation objects. So with this uh, Dukkha Patipadatanda Binya, you can actually meditate on it forwards and backwards. So to begin with, you, you meditate on forwards. But once you really understand this, you can also do it backwards. It just makes it more powerful, actually, once, once you see it. So that's also possible. So that's the advice and tips. So that's all I had to cover for this session. So one of the things about this particular meditation is it's very potent. You know, when you take medicine that is kind of uh, baby medicine, so medicine for kids versus medicine for adults. So what you find with Dukkha Paripada Dandavinya, it's very potent medicine. It's not the most pleasant meditation to do in one sense when you first come at it. But what you find when you really investigate it, when you really tear it open, you find it's so powerful and the joy from it is so immense. So anyone that persists with this, is, is it's remarkable. So I know most of you, you have been uh, teaching and learning and, and uh, saying out the Karaniya Metta. And so when you start to really do the Karaniya Metta really well, uh, and you want to know why it's not powerful enough. You know, sometimes you think I'm I'm driving this car, but it, the engine's not powerful enough. Then this Dukkha Patipada Anna Binya gives you that power because it's so potent. 
So even though some people you come to and you think, I don't want to do this meditation, uh, but what you find when you start really learning this meditation, it's such a good meditation. So I, I really encourage uh, to to really make some effort towards it. It's such a blessing and it really is a doorway to Nibbana. So let's share the merits with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. And may the doors of Nibbana remain open to all sentient beings. Okay, Peruan Saranai.